Okay. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, yesterday, uh, I was messed up. I mean, I was throwing up, diarrhea, massive headache. I was a mess. I mean, Erin Aaron can testify. She was just trying to pray for me and, and, and care for me. And, man, I was messed up, man. I haven't been messed up like that in a long time. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if it was just a demonic attack or if it was something I ate. I thought maybe it's the oysters I ate Thursday night because we went to a seafood buffet with Larry and Jew. Or I thought maybe it was the kimchi bokeumbap that I ate Friday night because that's when it, all the symptoms start to, uh, start to come on to my body. And then uh, I, I heard this morning that uh, Larry and Jew couldn't come to church today because they have food poisoning. So uh, it seems that uh, it was the oysters after all. Now, I know that you only have one oyster. I'm not sure how many Larry had. Larry had one oyster as well. And I was the one who promoted that because I thought the oysters were so good. Um, and I, I am so sorry to Larry and Jew. <laughs> But as a testimony to the goodness of God, I had six oysters. They had one. Uh, and for me to come to church and they not, you know, you can tell we were warfaring last night a lot. And we're getting a lot of prayer. So, you know, my, I, just, I just, the first thing I was just thinking about is if I'm going to be like this tomorrow, I can't preach tomorrow. And when that thought crossed my mind, I just rejected it. I just imagined and visualized myself up here preaching this word. Right, it's an important word. It's not an easy word to preach today, but um, I just, I just, I just said, I'm, it's just Satan can't stop me. Food poisoning can't stop me, and I just visualized myself here, and I just kept praying that all night, and uh, praise the Lord that I woke up. I felt really clear. I felt really good. All the nausea was gone. Headaches trying to come on to me right now, but you know, I'm feeling real good. I'm feeling real good even right now as I'm starting to preach. All right. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Be sure to pray for Larry and Jude too. All right. All right, let's get into this. It's not an easy uh, word to deliver today. But by the grace of God, here we go. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's read in the ESV. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Now, you will notice some versions of your ESV has plans for wholeness. Okay, I don't know why ESV can't agree on which word to use. Some of them have welfare. Some of it has wholeness. The King James Version says peace. But the version that most of us are familiar with in the NIV, the NIV reads, but I know the plan, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, the word here translated prosper, wholeness, peace, welfare, is the Hebrew word shalom. Everybody say shalom. shalom. Now, many Christians, we know that this word shalom means peace. So it would seem that the, ES, uh, the NIV translators really mistranslated this verse by translating it 
plans to prosper you. But that's not actually true. The Hebrew word for shalom was not just peace and the way we know it in the English language. But the Hebrew word for shalom was an all-encompassing word that was inclusive of uh, definitions for wholeness, welfare, peace, and prosperity. That's why these Bible translators can kind of interchange these words. Because the Hebrew word shalom was a much bigger umbrella word that encompassed all these different kinds of meanings. So the issue is not here a matter of either or, but the good news is it's all of the above. Amen? Amen. I mean, you can receive any one of those words, and I, I believe it will be accurate to what God intended. God has plans to prosper you, to give you wholeness, to give you peace, and to provide you with welfare. Amen? Amen. Now, for ESV translators... I noticed that they did everything they could to remove the word prosper from the ESV translation. It's a conspiracy. Okay. The New King James Version has the word prosper 99 times. And if you study these Bible translations, the more you will find out that the charismatic movement likes the King, New King James Version. All right. And so, you know, they, they, they're not afraid to talk about prosperity. All right, so it's not surprising that they use it the most. 99 times. The King James Version has it 91 times. The NASV Version, which is pretty conservative and literal, they still have it 90 times. And then the NIV, you have more evangelicals starting to influence it. They drop it down to 82 times, and the ESV only has it 78 times. Isn't that kind of interesting? Um, That's because many of those who promote the ESV, if you didn't know... They have a vocal hatred toward what is called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Now, one of those who are the most vocal is a gentleman named John Piper. John Piper says in one of his uh, sermons, quote, this is John Piper. Contrary to what the prosperity gospel teaches, wealth is not usually a blessing. It's a curse. Almost always, hear my words carefully, wealth possessed in the bank, in the portfolio, is usually a curse. Almost always a curse, not a blessing. Contrary to what the prosperity teachers are trying to say, and thus bringing a curse upon millions, Jesus said it so plainly, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who desire to be rich are suicidal, end quote. Okay. Now, I try to use as much of the passion that John Piper preached that sermon with. All right. He says it very passionately. He doesn't, he doesn't hold back the punches. He actually uses the word crap in one of his sermons, which is something that I use all the time, but he doesn't. All right. And he does it because it's to express his hatred for what he calls the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Now, I understand John Piper's frustration with American Christians and their miserliness, their materialism, and their selfish use of funds. But I disagree with what he is saying here because, dare I say it, I believe Piper is being not very biblical. 
Because the biblical view on wealth and blessing, there is a biblical view. And, and where wealth, yes, can be a curse, and I think it largely depends on how you have accumulated that wealth. If you've accumulated that wealth through corruption, breaking the law, if you're like Jay-Z, you sold drugs, you robbed people, and that's how you accumulated your wealth, or you betray people, or you made bribes. If you have such wealth, such wealth is indeed a curse. If you've accumulated simply through your honest hard work, with no sign of God's favor, it's all just through your own sacrifice. You sacrifice your relationship, sacrifice your, your uh, leadership at church, you sacrifice whatever. If it's all just a reflection of your own honest hard work and that's the way you got your wealth, such wealth can most definitely be a curse. It becomes a source of pride. But if the process in which you have accumulated your wealth is filled with the testimonies of God's favor, of God's miraculous hand, where the world is in recession, but you continue to increase. If the way you have accumulated your wealth is filled with His blessing and favor, such wealth does not necessitate a curse, but instead a blessing. Brothers and sisters, as John Piper said, wealth is almost always a curse. Almost always. He has qualified it. John Piper has left room for us to interpret. <laughs> wealth is not almost always a curse. Wealth can oftentimes be a blessing. It really depends on how you have accumulated that wealth. Did you accumulate that wealth through delaying your tithe? Through ignoring the need of a missions team that was going out that one Sunday. Because, because you couldn't wait two more weeks for your iPhone or something. Right? The attitude of your heart and how you dispense your wealth will also be radically different. It all depends on how you accumulate that wealth. And I'll tell you right now, there are several ways to accumulate wealth. There's the wicked way, the godless way, and then there is the God way. I guarantee you, if you accumulate wealth in accordance to the process of God, the attitude of your heart and the way you dispense that wealth will be pleasing to God. You don't got to throw away all of this and believe that prosperity is evil. Prosperity is negative. Prosperity is, is going to result in my spiritual uh, disaster. You know, we need to start rethinking and getting into what the scriptures have shown us. Uh, they're teaching, the scripture is teaching on prosperity. Brothers and sisters, wealth is not almost always a curse. Wealth can definitely sometimes be a curse. But wealth can also be a blessing. Amen? Amen. Now, I guess it's helpful here to make that distinction between righteous wealth 
and wicked wealth. And it all is determined by how it is accumulated. And the Bible encourages us when we see wicked wealth accumulating, when we see the wicked prospering, the Bible says, do not fret. Do not envy what they have. God has his own ways to get you to that place of blessing. Two people can both have the same amount of money in the bank, but they can be completely different. It all depends on how we got there. God makes that distinction clear. Now, Piper, he, in his passion, he says in another video that this prosperity gospel is unfortunately being imported to Asia, Africa, and to the poorest countries of the world. And Piper thinks that it is terrible that these poor countries are given a message of, if you believe in Jesus, your pigs won't die. Your mothers will not miscarry. You have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. And Piper thinks it's horrible that we go into these countries and we, we preach this kind of message of believe in Jesus and you, you'll get rich. Believe in Jesus and one day you can drive a BMW. And he thinks it's horrible. And, uh, you know, to be accurate, I don't think anyone's really preaching it in that way. It's a little bit of a caricature, right? Piper's doing that to make a point. There are abuses, I believe, of this teaching. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen it. You've seen it on TV back in the 80s and 90s. A lot of these people, you know, they they either went to jail or their ministries ended. They're short-lived ministries. There are abuses of it. But where there are right teachings, right applications of these teachings, I believe that Piper is making a very inaccurate caricature. Because I don't think people, evangelists, they go into countries like Africa, uh, not country, Africa, continent of Africa. Sorry, Janae, if you're listening to this. <laughs> or, you know, countries like Nigeria or Cote d'Ivoire. And uh, no one's going in there and preaching like, believe in Jesus, come to the front, give your heart to Jesus, and you'll drive a BMW. I mean, who does that? No one preaches that. You know, maybe there are abuses, but they're very few. Right? And so, and here's my thing. I don't know about Piper, but after visiting the poorest of the poor in India, the Philippines, and Indonesia, after visiting the poorest of the poor, I don't think preaching a message like this is unfortunate. I think it's necessary. You might be like, how can you say that, Pastor Christian? How can you promote using health, wealth, and prosperity as a way to get people to believe in Jesus? Well, check this out. I wouldn't use that to get people to believe in Jesus. But check this out. Once they believed in Jesus, I will most definitely preach that because I believe that that's what is biblical. Once they have believed and received the hope of glory, I will begin to preach and teach that indeed there is a hope of seeing that glory on this earth. It's not just all about once you die, you got, I got good news for you now. I know you're living in poverty. I know you're living in that nasty little tar tent over in New Delhi. But look, I'm giving you some hope. Here's some hope. When you die, you'll see the face of Jesus. When you die, you get to go to heaven. Here's some hope for you. Wow.
I mean, look, that is weighty hope. That is good hope. But that is not the only hope we have. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That that you might be overflowing with the blessing of God. And you want to experience abundant life once you die and go to heaven. But you have an ability to pull down heaven down to earth. And that is the kingdom mandate. To advance the kingdom means to bring the the values of heaven, to bring the environment of heaven down here to this earth. You go to a place like India. If you've never been to India, man, I just encourage you, just make a trip to India and just go to India and you will see the most horrific poverty that you will ever see in your life. Because you know why? In India, poverty is not circumstantial. It's not incidental. It is systematic. People are in that condition and they have no hope of ever coming out of that condition because the government has set up a system. The Hinduism there has set up a system where you cannot come out of that poverty. And if such people, they, those poorest of the poor, they believe in Christ, oh, you betcha I'm going to preach to them a new hope, a living hope. Look, Jesus doesn't want you to live in that poverty for the rest of your life. Jesus doesn't want you and your descendants to continue in that poverty. I'm going to give you some hope. Nothing is impossible for God. You could be living in poverty one year. And two decades later, your whole city and nation can be at a completely different place. You know, Korea back right after the Korean War was probably worse off than India. The whole nation was devastated by war. Now, granted, Koreans have this long history and culture of, you know, really valuing education because of Confucianism. And they had this kind of like kimchi passion to uh, fight for independence and believe that their country can really prosper. And uh, granted that they have that, India doesn't. But nevertheless, economically, they were in a place of terrible devastation. Right? But check this out. And not even 50 years, in about 25 years, the whole nation had a complete shift. Right? And by the 80s, 88, you have the Olympics that are hosted here. Usually the Olympic Committee doesn't host the Olympics in like a really poor, poor, poor city. I mean, they take into consideration your infrastructure, your subway, your streets, you know. And Korea, for able to host the Olympics by 88, you know, that, 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 that's a miracle story. It's a testimony. Um, you know, uh, when I was working for Campus Crusade, I meet a lot of uh, people from Bangladesh, people from very poor countries like uh, different parts of Africa. And they will come and they will have these printouts of articles testifying to Korea's economic turnaround. And, you, you know, they all, they all love Jesus really passionately. They all love Jesus very passionately. But these are college students. These, are the, these, are the, these guys are the hope of Nigeria. They're the hope of the Cameroon or whatever country they're representing. They're the college students. They're the bright ones. They have, they have, they have a future. They can go on and, and be an influential person. And you know what gave them hope? Was the story of Korea. They said, if God can do it for Korea, and we know you people pray, and we know that your prayers have something to do with you having this economic turnaround, they said, if God can do it for your country, he can do it for our war-torn, civil war-destroying country like ours. God can turn it around. And by the way, Korea did also experience a civil war. And rose up out of those ashes. 
John Piper, I don't think it's unfortunate that such a message is imported to the poorest of the poor. In fact, I believe that is the holistic perspective of the gospel. Not the evangelical one, but the biblical one. The one passed down, the good news passed down. By the way, Christianity started in Judaism. Judaism. <laughs> so it's important to understand how did the Jews... How did the Jews understand the gospel, the good news when it was preached? And I'm telling you right now, if you study the, the Hebrew understanding of the word salvation, salvation could be translated healing, deliverance, or salvation. You know why? Because that word for salvation, saved, that the Lord saves, that the Lord is mighty to save, That word is a holistic word once again. And it could apply to your spirit, could apply to your soul, could apply to your finances, it could apply to your safety. It's a holistic word. And so I believe that when we say God is a God who saves, I don't believe that God is just saying... Uh, God is the God who saves just your spirit and you get to get, go die and go to heaven. When God says, I bring my salvation to you, that means God is bringing healing, deliverance, salvation to every aspect of your life. He wants to touch you holistically. What good is it if He touches you and gives you the hope that when you die, you go to heaven, but does nothing for the plight of your condition? It's like telling a person, Who's dying of a terminal disease. Believe in Jesus. And when you die of that disease. You get to go to heaven. I believe that preaching that kind of gospel. It really falls short. Of what the true gospel really entails. And you know. I'm, and I, I know I'm aligning myself right now. To the Pentecostal view of the gospel. But you know what. What, what the Pentecostals have discovered. And they have discovered, I believe, by the Spirit of God. What, what scholastic reform people miss in all their studies, the Pentecostal, the blue-collared, uneducated Pentecostals, they picked up by the wisdom and revelation of the Holy Spirit. You know, here, let me, let me lay it down. Right there. The Pentecostal denomination, oftentimes they're, they're called the Assemblies of God, but they're also called the Full Gospel. Right? Full Gospel denomination, right? Yoido Sumbugum Kyoe. Yoi the full gospel. Right? Why, why do they call themselves the full gospel of this denomination? Why? Because by the very name of their denomination, they're trying to define what the gospel includes. You see, evangelical gospel only saves your spirit and perhaps gives you a hope that you can have a healthier soul, health, healthier emotional life. But doesn't even guarantee that, by the way. They don't really preach that hope. They focus solely on the gospel. You know why? I don't blame evangelicals for doing that. You know why? Because at one point in our church history, we didn't even have the gospel. The gospel was lost. And so one of the strengths of the Reformation is they restored the gospel truth. The gospel that saves and gets you to heaven. But 
as God continually was reforming and renewing the church, what they missed was God didn't want to stop there with just the restoration of the gospel that saves you and takes you to heaven. God was trying to reveal also that this gospel is inclusive of your physical healing. And you know what? Evangelicals hate this teaching. That's why they call it the health, wealth, prosperity gospel. They believe that there is no guarantee in the word of God that, your, that the gospel has anything to do with your physical health. They believe that to teach that, some circles will call that heresy. And I know that there's some of you in here that believe that. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm just letting you know that I completely disagree. And I think that's fine that we disagree. I think it's fine that we disagree. But you, I guarantee you right now, the fruit of this ministry is not coming out of the evangelical gospel. It's coming out of the preaching of the full gospel. Like when we go on these mission trips, all right, when we preach the gospel, it's not just going to be when you die, you get to go to heaven. It's going to be like Jesus can heal you, your physical body right now. Who wants, who wants to be included in that prayer? And we pray for people and people get healed. Not everybody gets healed. Some people get healed. And other people will then use the empirical evidence that some people didn't get healed to say that, look, it's not for everybody. So therefore, you can't preach it. But you know what? That's why our core value is contempt for the kingdom. See, we're, we're experiencing a portion. We're experiencing a partial, um, a partiality of, of what we were, we were contending for. We want to contend for the fullness of it. And I believe when we see the fullness of it, you'll see, you'll see entire rooms just getting healed. Everybody will get healed. And I think we should hope for that. We shouldn't hope for 50%. We should really hope. I mean, if you were sick, what would you want the preacher to hope for? If you're standing there and, you're, and you want the preacher to hope, oh, I just hope half the people in the room gets, uh, get healed today. No, if you're sick, you're like, include me. Include me. If you believe 50%, I better be in that first 50%. That's what you're thinking. Look, I wouldn't use health, wealth, and prosperity to get people saved. I would use other things like physical healings, demonstrating physical healings, signs, miracles, Holy Spirit power, preaching love, freedom, hope, repentance. Yeah, I'll get them saved. But once they're saved, I will surely preach the Lord wants to prosper you. The Lord does not want to keep you where you are. He wants to bless you. And I believe by definition, when he blesses you, you're going to prosper. And that word prosperity, and I'll define later what I mean by that. And when I preach such a message, I wouldn't be giving them something evil. I will be giving them hope. You know, if you go to these poor slums of the world... And when you go to these places and all you get as a college-educated Western person, all you get is, oh, I'm glad I don't live there. (sighs) I get to come home to my nice apartment. If that's all you get, that's pretty selfish. 
Oh, I'm glad that I was born in the, in the, in the, in, I was just born in, 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 a, in a good country at a good time. Oh, thank goodness that I'm born over here and not there. If that's all you get, that's pretty selfish. Instead, if you're led by the Spirit, I, I believe that what you will preach to the poorest of the poor is, right? Look, I know I get to go back to a nicer home. I know that I get to drive nice, nicer cars. Not ones from the 70s that y'all are able to somehow maintain. I know that. But check this out. I believe that God, Jesus, is the hope of your nation. If you will make him the hope of your nation. And you don't even need to get the whole country to believe in Jesus. If you will get the remnant, the remnant of your nation, the remnant Christians in your nation to believe this with all their heart, God will bless your nation. And you will see easily curable diseases being eliminated. How terrible is that? That the children of one nation, they're losing their babies to curable diseases. That needs to stop. You you will preach that. Look, God doesn't want you to stay where you are. God wants you to stay in school, get your education, rise in influence, be excellent in everything you do, so that one day you will have both the character and the position to influence your nation. You know, and this is where I, I think Manny Pacquiao, get, Pacquiao gets it a lot more than many people in the church. You know, Manny, Manny comes up out of Jensan, out of some of the poorest of the poor, right? Takes whatever money he has, goes to Manila, starts boxing. And he becomes, he, he's, he, he just strives for excellence in everything he does. Not for the goal of just being the number one boxer in the world. But you see his heart now, now that he is the number one boxer in the world. What is he doing with that influence? He's trying to destroy poverty in his nation. He's running for Congress. Why? Because he knows that if he can change the laws of the nation, he can stop perpetuating this poverty. It doesn't need to continue the way it has. I mean, I, mean, I know Manny Pacquiao is not perfect. But look, check this out. He's onto something that Christians need to get onto. I, I believe that, I mean, that's, that's the kind of message we need to preach. Now, you know what? <clears throat> People like John Piper, and you know what? I love John Piper. I honor him. He's written amazing books, preached wonderful, passionate messages. He has contributed so much to the Reformed theology. I really commend and honor John Piper. But you know what? One thing I cannot respect about John Piper John Piper and many people that follow him, and you know what? There's a lot of ignorant, rude people that follow him, by the way. They're filled with the Pharisaic spirit and all about being right. Many of these people who, who follow John Piper, and I've, I've not heard John Piper. He, this is usually his philosophy. He normally does not name who he's referring to. It's just one of his character things. But you know what? Those Pharisaic followers of his, you know what they do? They call... Anointed ministers of God, like Creflo Dollar, like Benny Hinn, like Joel Osteen, like Patricia King. They call them evil. They call them of the devil. They call them heretics. Isn't that kind of a little harsh? 
Is the rhetoric a little bit harsh, unloving, ungentle? No, they come out even stronger. They have so many YouTube clips, so many blogs, that an average baby believer in this room, if you Googled it, you will have your head spinning with the amount of resources they have using this type of rhetoric. And you will not be able to really clearly differentiate between the, the opposing views. Look, I understand the passion of some of these people, why they, they are really re- reacting to some of the abuses and just their own view of this whole prosperity gospel thing. I understand the passion, but I really don't think it's a zeal with, with knowledge. <clears throat> you know, one person said it this way, and this is uh, not my personal opinion, but I thought it was funny. Okay, so this is not the way I feel. I honor Piper. This guy's not honoring Piper. I thought it was just funny. As it's just a humorous thing, he was saying, this is foolish of Piper. He does not see both sides. Yes, wealth can be bad, but poverty can be just as bad, plunging many into inner city gangs, drugs as a means of support. And I am also sure that Piper himself is wealthy. Look at his Christian celebrity status. He is friends with R.C. Sproul, which is also another wonderful man of God. Uh, who has golf memberships in Florida. That is not cheap. Now, I'm not sure if Piper buys these golf memberships. I don't even know if he has one. He probably gets them as gifts, if anything, because I know if any man has character, Piper has character. But it's true. Piper is failing to see the other side. He's reacting here to Americans and how selfish and materialistic they're being. And then he's saying prosperity is almost always bad. But Piper, come on. Let's take you to the slums of India. Let's take you to Thailand where all the children are being sold into sexual slavery. Let's take you into Cambodia. And I guarantee you Piper will be preaching a new message. Poverty is bad. Always. I mean, it's, 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 am I the only one getting this message here today? I mean, okay, prosperity is almost always bad. But come on, how about the message? Poverty is always bad. And the only way you can get out of that poverty, there's two ways. There's a wicked way and there is a righteous way. And if you will follow the righteous way, that process itself, once you get to the place of blessing... The process itself is by nature designed to keep you in a place of humility, in a place where you recognize the giver, where you don't elevate the gifts above the giver. Piper, you don't got to be so concerned. God has his way of raising up those with righteous wealth. Case in point, Joseph. By the end of Joseph's life, Joseph was a wealthy, wealthy man. (laughs) But if you look at his life and the way he got to that place of wealth and influence, oh, I don't think you would so easily choose the path that that he had to take. 
But you see that process was designed in and of itself. So that when Joseph had that wealth and position, he was like, I'm here because of the favor of God. I am only here because of the purpose of God. In fact, if you read the Bible, when God started to choose the Jews out of all the peoples of the earth, he started with one man, Abraham. And after God chose Abraham, God made sure that Abraham had a whole lot of sheep. Because back then, having lots and lots of sheep and goats, that was like equivalent of wealth. That's the equivalent of having a whole bunch of Corvettes. You know, he just, he just had a whole lot. He had a whole lot of wealth. Right? Abraham prospered. Abraham prospered. And, 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 and you know, this is where evangelicals, man, they hate it when, 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 when people of this school of thought begin to teach this. But, man, Abraham was blessed. You can't get away from that. And he was blessed in such a way Abraham knew without a shadow of a doubt. He's not going, oh, I got all this wealth because I worked hard. I got all this worth because I sure am lucky. Again and again and again. No, he's thinking, I got wealth because of the favor and blessing of God. Because of the purpose of God on my life. And all this wealth has got to be for something, I know. Then his son was born. And Isaac also continued to prosper. And then... Isaac had twins. And this is where Calvinism comes in, right? Esau I hated. Jacob I loved. No, with all the humor aside, that's what Romans 9 is talking about. God didn't choose both twins. He just chose one. And on the one that he chose, now in his grace, he gave Esau blessings as well. But not nearly as much as what he gave Jacob. So by the time Jacob comes up, with two wives and two concubines and 12 children, 12 sons. We don't know. How, I mean, he might have had daughters and we don't know how many daughters he had. Right? He has 70 children total. Oh, man. All right. Talk about prosperity in, in terms of having children. <coughs> I mean, Jacob was like, he was just prospering. He was blessed. Why? Because God's like, because I've chosen Jacob. That's why he's, he's my man. He represents my people. And if my people will have faith in me and trust in me and honor the things that I say, this is what they will experience. And then his 12 sons, uh, through Joseph, went into Egypt and began to you know, and this is where I guess, uh, you know, prosperity may have been a bad thing for them. I'm not sure how much wealth they went into when they got into Egypt. But because Joseph, you know, is like their brother, obviously they're going to get to experience all that wealth. And because Joseph went through a process, but his other brothers didn't, when they got that wealth, guess what they taught their children? You know, they probably taught them whatever. This is, this is because of Joseph, not because of God. I don't know what happened. But the people start to forsake the Lord. And so that they were brought onto slavery. And then God brings them out of slavery, what, 400 years later, 
brings them out of slavery. And then he lays down the law. Okay? Uh, if you want to see it, look at Deuteronomy 28. And after 400 years of slavery, you would think God will be afraid to give his people wealth, right? He's like, if, if giving y'all wealth to... If giving y'all wealth results in this, I don't ever want to give y'all wealth. Maybe that's what God would say. But look, he lays down the law. Look at Deuteronomy 28. All right? Even from verse 1. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commands that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you. And not just come upon you. They will overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. By the way, don't you think all these things include finances by now? (laughs) Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you. I'm talking about the Lord commanding you to not commit adultery. Commanding you not to covet. Well, Lord, the Lord can also command his blessing upon you. And your barns and in all that you undertake, he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. If you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. It goes on to say, right? You will, you will be the head and not the tail. You will lend and not borrow. All signs of prosperity. And if you want to understand what you will most likely experience if you forsake the Lord your God, just keep reading the rest of the chapter. For where there are blessings for obedience, there are also curses for disobedience. And now, I, I believe because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us now on, the, on this side of the cross, it just looks a little bit different. I don't think God's up there, you know, we, some people have this image of God just waiting with a stick, waiting for you to make a mistake so he can whack you. That's not God. God, the Bible says God is slow to anger, rich in compassion. He wants to do good to you. Jesus described him as our father. If you being wicked know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You don't even have to earn it. You just ask and he'll give it to you. Because if you know your identity in him, he'll just give it to you if you ask. That's, that's the nature of our God. And so, I mean, I do believe there are, there are consequences to disobedience on this side of the cross. But I believe you got to be really stupid and really disobedient and really idolatrous and really occultic. When you get into all those things, I mean, we know it in deliverance ministry. You see all the demons on that person's life. You see all the calamity on that person's finances. I mean, it's still true. I believe it's still true. But you got to be really, really dumb. Because you have a Holy Spirit living inside you now. It's a little bit harder to, to act like the Israelites did. But nevertheless, people still do it. I, I, won't, I won't lie. We help them all the time. Man, I don't know how I'm going to preach this over at E101, man. I didn't follow any of my notes. 
Okay, let's look at Psalm, number, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Let me just try to close with this. Psalm 1. Lord, help me. Okay, Psalm 1, verse 3. Well, verses 1 to 3. You got to look at the context, right? Look at this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields his fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. How many of you would love this to be described of you? Everything you do, you prosper. Raise your hand. Everything, I would love it if everything I did would prosper. Well, if you want everything you do to prosper, then look at the remainder of that chapter. Meditate on this law day and night. But when God says, look at my word, read my word, study my word. God's not just saying, you know, do it because I'm a, I'm a harsh school teacher and I want you to learn something. It's not. God's like, look, do it because I want to bless you. I want to position you so that everything you put your hand to will be filled with wisdom and you can prosper. Will, will be a reflection of my character. That you be me on the earth. That you be like my son Christ on the earth. So I want you to meditate on my law day and night. If you do that, man, everything you do, I will prosper. You know, and, and you know what? In my own personal experience, that has been true. I, I don't mean this in a very prideful way. I mean this in the most humble way possible. Because I cannot take credit through hard work and discipline the types of things that i've experienced in my life when i was with campus crusade i prospered i went on to the 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 campus of columbia university with a ministry that had just had to reinvent himself because of all his political spirits that got in there and all these students voted to get kcc out i went in there group of students leaders numbering less than 10 and in one year, my, my staff team and myself, we saw that ministry blow up. It easily outnumbered every ministry on campus. And we had over 20 students committing to leadership the following year. The following year after that, it got even bigger. So that the president of Campus Crusade in Korea took notice, came all the way to America, recruited me to come to Korea. And when he recruited me, What I did not know was that for two years, God was telling me, do no work and enjoy your identity. Understand your identity in me. Because you know why? Because I was going from Columbia, doing everything. Yo, 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 show up for small group. All right, yo, yo, we got leaders meeting. And I was doing doing all this work, right? At Columbia, although I experienced incredible fruit, there was a small deception that I could have kind of said, you know, I did that because of my diligence. That, that happened because of my diligence. Well, I come to Korea in 2005. I go from all that business to nothing. I come to a country I don't understand the culture. I don't understand the language. Nobody knows me at the headquarters. Nobody cares. You know? Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Christian, you know? Like, yeah, nice, nice, okay. 한국말 왜 못해? You know, <clears throat> I didn't, I did, I really did nothing. I'm, this is the truth. I'm, I'm telling you, I did, I really did nothing for two years. 
I just sat in front of a computer. I, I tweaked the website a little bit for our conference. And I got to go to uh, London, Singapore, Paris, ate like really, really good food with all the top Campus Crusade staff and leaders, like people much older than me, people with like three kids and a dog. And I just, <laughs> being by myself and I, I just enjoyed this blessing, prosperity. And I would always just think, Lord, I, I'm not worthy of this. I don't deserve any of this. And God, God would just say, hey, that's not the point. It's not the point. You're just here because you're my child. You're just here because I got a call for you. I just want to give you a taste of my grace, my goodness. Let this be a pattern for the rest of your ministry days. No matter how busy you get, you can always expect my goodness, my favor. This is not for a season. The mercy and goodness that I have for you will follow you all the days of your life. That's the message I got for those two years. And a year later, I became the pastor of this church. I'll tell you right now. You guys are, you guys just make me feel so much joy when I think about you guys. Now, I sound like the Apostle Paul right now, but let me just explain. I really do feel so much joy when I think of you guys. Even just for a moment, I think I just get so much joy. Because you're the fruit of my ministry. You're the fruit. This was, it wasn't like this a few years ago. You know? And I, and I honor Pastor David. I honor Pastor Sam. But check this out, man. I really build, I built this house. I helped build this house. You and along with the other leaders here, we all sacrifice. And it's to our joy to see the fruit here now. And when I see you, I see the Lord prospering you, Philly. And when I see people in the audience with poor character, <laughs> the prophecy I get for them is not, the Lord's going to humble you this year. He will hit you with something so that you are humbled. And in this recession, you think the recession is bad? Watch what the, what the Lord does to humble you this year. Like, I don't get that. I never get that. Instead, I get prophetic words like, the Lord's going to bless you, young man. And I'm thinking, Lord, don't give him that. This little Josh Hink, he's got such poor character. Lord, give him the hammer prophecy. The Lord's going to hammer you this year. You know, no, the, I just, the Lord's going to bless you. He's going to prosper you. He's going to raise you up, give you a lot of favor. What, Lord? No. Man, God is just so um, secure. He has no insecurity about prophesying your future, even in, in the state of your poor character. Because, by the way, he's got that process. He can take care of that character thing. I mean, I got to close up the message, right? So here's what I didn't preach here. Uh, I, believe, <coughs> I believe the prosperity of God is multidimensional. I, just, I had food poisoning last night. You got to forgive me. <laughs> I'm using more ordered here. Uh, prosperity of God is multidimensional. And here's just three, three aspects of that prosperity. I believe this, the gospel is inclusive of all three areas, okay? And if you choose to d- disagree, that's fine. I, I understand. You keep searching the scriptures. I'll keep doing the same thing. Uh, three areas. Number one, I believe God wants to prosper your soul. Third, third John, verse 2, says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health 
just as your soul profit prospers. And uh, you know, I understand that NIV ESV translates it different, but I think those translations are really weak. The word prosper is really powerful here. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I think one area that God wants you to prosper in is in your soul. What do I mean by your soul? Your heart, your will, your mind, emotions, and will. God wants you to have emotional health. God wants you to make sound decisions. God wants you to have a sound mind. He wants your, he wants your soul to prosper. And that's why at our church, the healing and deliverance ministry is so important. When we do healing and deliverance, we do it with the inherent belief that God wants to prosper your soul. When we see all kinds of strange OCD patterns on your life that the doctors can't even diagnose. When we see all kinds of negative sin patterns, secret sins. We don't believe, oh man, we can't do nothing for you there. And we believe, oh God, Jesus wants to take care of that. Jesus wants to set you free from that. Jesus wants your soul to be healthy, for it to be whole, wholeness, shalom, peace, prosperity for your soul. And I guarantee when your soul is shalom, when it's well with your soul, when you're, you know, that, that song, it is well with my soul, you can translate, it is prosperous in my soul. It's the same thing. When it's like that, your relationships will have greater intimacy. You know, all the funky things that you have before your pre-deliverance stage, all that will be gone. You'll be able to love with health. You'll be able to love with purity. That's one area. So, second is in your spirit. In your spirit. You have a spiritual health going on. I believe God wants to prosper and bless and make you rich in your spirit. The Bible talks about there's a natural man. There's a spiritual man. God wants you to be a spiritual man or woman. He wants you to prosper in your spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse uh, five, 3. I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. I'll just quote it. Oh, no, it's here. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Why does God give you spiritual blessings? Because you have a spiritual health. And there's a spiritual prosperity that God wants to enlarge for you. How does this look? How does this manifest? This manifests in your ability to be prophetic. This manifests in your ability to move in spiritual gifts. This manifests in the ability for you to nourish others with the word of God. This manifests in your ability. Man, come on, think about it. Spiritual. He wants you to prosper in your spirit. And third, lastly, where does God want you to prosper? Is in your uh, I said body, right? So, in the physical realm. But you know, you can say body here and just explain that it includes your health and also your wealth. Now, if you have a little bit of money, that's not called wealth. So let me make it clear. When I say wealth, I mean an abundance of finances. I don't mean just enough to get by. I mean more than enough so that you can be a blessing to others. So that when your friend says, hey, can I borrow $500? You're not like, yeah, 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 I'm broke. And get away from me. You'd be like, look, man, you can keep the 500 You can pay me back whenever you want. How's that? Let me bless you, man. If you want to come up out of that poverty, talk to me later. I'll give you some biblical principles. I'll reshift your paradigm and show you so you can, you can live in a different place than that. Right? You want to be blessed to be a blessing. In your body, your, your health, 
your wealth. Um, Deuteronomy 28. If you doubt it, if it includes your wealth and your health, look up Deuteronomy 28. The blessings that are for the obedient children of God. It's inclusive of all of that. And because that's the Old Testament, that must not apply to, to us in the New Testament. I beg to defer. I believe it just applies simply to the people of God. The people of God that he has chosen. Back then, it was Israelites. Today, it is the church. Uh, let me read a couple of verses that will really encourage you. Isaiah 60, verse 5. I believe this talks about the generation we're living in. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. And to you, the riches of the nations will come. Say that. To you, the riches of the nations will come. Isaiah 61. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations. And in their riches, you will boast. Hallelujah. I believe that's talking about people that are walking in the Isaiah 61 anointing. When you are filled and led by the Spirit and you're walking in that type of Isaiah 61 anointing and you're proclaiming freedom for the captives, you're bringing healing to the brokenhearted, you go into Cambodia and stopping human trafficking, that's when you will see the nations, the wealth of the nations will come to you and in their riches you will boast and you will put an end. You will use those riches for a purpose and you will break the bondage over these nations. You will bring freedom and healing to the nations. We've gone over time very much. Here, I got I to gotta close up. Everyone, close your eyes, bow your heads. Close your eyes and bow your heads. Now, for those thinkers in here, for those who have read the blogs, you've seen the videos, your loyalty to John Piper is bigger than your loyalty to Pastor Christian. (laughs) John Piper has a PhD, Christian, went to NYU. Um, Look, once again, I think it's fine that you're at that place. Um, But know that. The fruit of this ministry is coming out of preaching this message, not the other one. And when we go on missions, we feel like this message fits rather than the other one. And we believe this message gives hope. Not just for a person to die and go to heaven, but for them to have hope of an abundant life while on earth. That they can actually pull down heaven onto earth. Just as Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe God wants to prosper you. They say religion is there to keep you humble and poor. I don't know where you went to think religion is equated to Jesus. I don't think it says anywhere in the Bible, Jesus is there to keep you humble and poor. Oh, God wants you to be humble. You know, don't, don't doubt that. But the way he keeps you humble is maybe a little bit different than the way you think religion does it. Jesus is not there to keep you humble and poor like religion is. 
Jesus is there to keep you. Well, not just keep you. Jesus is there to make you humble and prosperous. That's his plan. And sometimes when you're prospering that much, God gives you the privilege to go through a period of adversity. And we see this in the book of Job. And where a lot of religious people, or a lot of evangelicals, they use the story of Job to argue against prosperity. What they fail to mention is that after Job went through that season of adversity, at the end of his life, he was blessed double. He had prospered double than he was at the beginning when he lost all those things. And don't you think God is making it really clear through the book of Job? I want to prosper you. I want to prosper you. I know the plans that I have for you. My plans do not involve you sitting on the sidewalk begging for bread. The Bible says I have never seen his seed begging for bread. If you are a chosen one of God, and you are, you will never beg for bread. That is not in the plans of God. That is in the plans of, a, of the evil one. He wants you to fear that. He wants you to fear that so much that that's all you visualize. And then you start to make decisions of fear. And when God says go, you just stay. Because you're so afraid that if you will go and give your life fully to Christ. And you will go and commit yourself fully to his plans. That God's going to somehow put you on the street somewhere. That God's going to have you live in poverty somewhere. That is a lie. God knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you shalom for your soul, spirit, and body. To give you shalom. Shalom. To prosper you. Not to harm you. Not to give you evil. Plans to give you hope and a future. Is that not the message we take to India? Is that not the message we take to the Philippines? To give them hope and future. A hope of a better day. A hope of getting an education. A hope of learning how to read so that they can read the Bible for themselves. Should we not provide them with such hope? Or do we just continue to say prosperity is evil, prosperity is almost always bad? Is that the focus of our message when you go to these poor slums? No, brothers and sisters. We need to give them this biblical truth. God wants to prosper them. If they will bend their knee to Jesus, if they will place their trust fully in Him, and they will live in those ways, God will not fail to bless and prosper His children. He loves to make His children holy. And let me redefine holy for you. It just means to be set apart. He loves to make His people set apart and distinct from the people of the world. So I tell you right now, in the time of recession, God's people ought to prosper the most. And we need to believe that. That that, that's what we ought to experience and that's what we will experience. God wants to prosper you. God wants to prosper you.